Welcome to episode number 37 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is a podcast where helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you, the listener, create an online business, create a side hustle around your research and your experience, your expertise, so you can generate income online, so you can change the world with the personal experience that you have and the research that you learned through your graduate degree. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have another listener question session. And this one we're talking specifically with about dealing with difficult clients. So as I mentioned before on the podcast, we take questions through grabblogger.com slash ask, A-S-K. So go there if you have any questions to talk about on the podcast, and I'll, I'll give my, my insights and some tips and strategies around them. This question actually came through a, a different channel with somebody reaching out to me directly with an experience that they were having um, and just wanted me to help kind of comment on it and comment through it because something that was a, a pretty big deal to them. And the, the original question is, can you do an episode on dealing with recovering from difficult clients. So as a person who had, you know, been in a very difficult client uh, business relationship over a, a pretty significant period of time, uh, that was very stressful within within her business, and something eventually she she ended up terminating, but not after you know a lot of kind of peril and, and stress. And this was a big topic. You know, this was something that I, I tried to help and provide guidance and encourage and and help the the grieving process and all the different aspects of it through this. But when she suggested that I talk about it on the podcast, I actually almost didn't feel qualified because I'm I'm not an expert at grief and I'm not an expert at you know this exact topic. It's not something that I felt like I had had a lot of experience. I've done some coaching and some discussions with people that have on how to set up their clients. I'm usually on the the other end of filtering. But once I dug into my past a bit, I realized that if you consider your you know your boss or your company that you work for as being your biggest client, which is a, a really good way to think about it if you have a side hustle. I had had some traumatic experience there and had had this issue with difficult clients. And once I thought about that, I started bringing up some, some emotions that, I, um, you know, that I've had from, from since I left my job back in 2006. So I've been self-employed now for, for over three years. And it was, yeah, it was really eye-opening to start having those feelings. And I thought, well, this is a really big topic. This is something that will probably resonate with somebody listening to the audience, probably resonate with you today. This how do you, you know, deal with and recover from difficult clients. So I got my whiteboard out, I started jotting down ideas and came up with this episode on answering that question. So normally we cover a couple different questions on these listener question sessions, but I felt like this one was big enough that uh, it really deserved its own episode. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So again, the question is, uh, how do you deal with and recover from difficult clients after ending that relationship? I'm going to go through four steps. So the first one is having correct filters. The second one, and, and when I'll get into a bit of my my story as well, is is re- recognizing what I'm calling RSI, repetitive strain injury. Step three is knowing when it's too much. Step four is actually ending the relationship. So I'm going to get into my my story a bit. I'm going to give some tips, some things to think about along the way in this process. Um, and hopefully it'll help you think about you know ways to better structure your business so you're having better clients, so you're targeting better markets. Um, if you're in an employment position, it might be, give you a way to think about that. If you're in these stressful situations, um, just to, to recognize when things are too much. And also, hopefully, we'll, we'll give you some idea on, on proper ways to go about terminating that and getting it out of your life when it may be time to do that. So I'm going to jump right in then. The first step, and the most important thing, but also the thing that you're probably not going to do first, is having the correct filters for clients. And the reason that you wouldn't normally do this first is that you don't have the experience to know what the filters are when you get started. So when you get out of grad school or you know when you get into the workforce, 
you really jump at whatever first job you get an opportunity to get because that's all you you know and that's all you experience. Um, and I did that as well. So I didn't have those filters when I, when I joined my first job out of university. And same with clients. If you're getting started today, you might take a, a $5 job just to get some work. And I guess the, the point there is, you know, at the start, you may take anything, but you're probably gonna have to be prepared for anything. You're gonna get nasty clients and, and people that only expect $5 for whatever. And they, like, that gives an idea what one of those filters will be that we'll talk about in a second. But a mentor I have today says this quite a bit, but it's really about setting the correct filters to get the right clients. And then you don't have to deal with the grieving process as much. So I thought, even though this is an area that's hard to do up front, we really need to spend some time talking about this whole filtering thing so that you get the right clients. And we will get into you know what to do with dealing with difficult clients, but I do want to mention that as a first step. So some basic filters to consider when bringing on new clients. The first one I'd say is a good project brief. If they don't have a good project brief, then you probably should X and A on that project because it's just, you know, if they don't have a good summary, then they're not going to be very organized. They're not going to have a good idea what they want out of it. If they don't have a good idea what they want out of it, then they're going to have a really hard time being happy about your result because they didn't know what they wanted in the first place. The chance of you hitting the mark is much, much higher. So I put this one even before price as a filter because normally when you're just getting started, you may have to put in you don't actually, you don't have to go with the low prices, but emotionally you may feel like you have to. And I was that way when I first started online, my, my first ask was for a couple hundred dollars. And, and the person said, we'll take a couple hundred dollars a month. And the person said, we'll take a year almost immediately. I realized that my price was too low. So everybody starts at a lower price. It's, it's a psychological thing, but a good filter to consider is to have some sort of project brief. Obviously it's not going to be a multi-page document if it's a, you know, a $20 project or even a hundred dollar project but that they have some sense of what the objectives, the outcomes, how to measure it are. So I would say that's your first filter. If they don't have any sort of good idea what they need, what they want, they're probably not the right client for you, and they're probably going to make headaches over the long term. The second filter I want you to consider is price. So again, I mentioned this, if you're just getting started, you're probably going to be at this kind of entry-level price. You don't have to be. If you're comfortable charging more, please do. If you're charging you know, $20 an hour, you're going to get a lot better client than if you're charging $10 an hour. If you're charging $30 an hour or $40 an hour, you're going to get a better client even still. And it, it just keeps going that way. So price is a great way to filter people out. Once you get that level of experience, once you have that, then don't settle for people that are going to pay you less. That's a you know really good filter that will just make your life a lot easier. Uh, the third filter I mentioned is experience level. Look at their history. So once you get up into those higher prices, you can start to be more selective once you have jobs coming down the pipeline. Who do you want to work with? What kind of person do you want to work with? Do you want to work with people that have experience and that are already you know, in motion? I've, I mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's easier to steer moving car than a parked car. So you know, if they're just getting started off the starting block, it's harder to make an impact there. And then the last one is organization and planning. If you're at this sort of upper echelon, you're filtering out you know, at a high level, I'd really suggest saying, hey, how as a as a provider of a service or a provider of a product, you know, how are we going to measure success? How are we going to actually communicate back and forth? This is going to be through emails, it's going to be through Slack or a Trello board. And that's a question that really gets to the heart. That will identify whether or not your client has thought about this project completely. They have no answer on how they're going to organize and bring this thing to the finish line. That can be a big red flag. So there's some basic filters to consider up front. You know, do they have a good project brief? Pricing yourself into the market that you want to be in, experience level. And then organization and planning, having that discussion, seeing where they're at. So that's step number one to you know, preventing difficult clients. 
Let's move down the chain. So step number two is recognizing RSI. This is recognizing repetitive strain injury. And I'm talking more of an emotional strain injury here. Talk about that a bit. I'm going to go back in, in my story. So as I mentioned, you're, if you're working full-time, this is your side hustle online. Or when you have a job, you're, you can really think of your boss as your biggest client. I learned some Katie Linder actually off her podcast where he says that she still has a day job and, and you know a very high-level, high-functioning position, but she kind of treats her, her job like her biggest client. That's a really good way to think about it. When I started at my job after graduate school, it was 2011, and things were really amazing. I got an early promotion. I was probably one of the youngest people who promoted there. I started graduate work that was you know, really aligned with the, with the work the company did. We were all looking forward to growing together, and I loved the work. And I did a lot. You know, I was working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, um, doing graduate school on top, working every weekend, working evenings with laptops at home, doing coding, I'm doing brainstorming, doing planning, traveling around the world, giving presentations to clients. Uh, you know, I love the work. A couple of years in, probably around 2013, we had the sort of big downturn in oil and gas. My company wasn't specifically related, or my team wasn't specifically related to oil and gas, but there were a lot of downward pressure on the company overall that was specifically related. That caused a lot of stress. We missed a couple big project deadlines, both myself individually, but also my team and also my company. So the whole, like everything was rising tides, rise all boats. Well, sink tides, sink all boats as well. And the hard part was that I had come into that already working to the max. So now I spent years working to the max but only just to tread water. Like if I stopped working weekends, then we would get less done and we'd be less behind. So now, you know, I was working the same hours, but it wasn't as fun anymore. And every weekend for years, I'd be in there working. And that's where this repetitive strain injury comes in. At some point we had a switch in management. I had a new boss that had been a sort of a, a supervisor and mentor for a long time. They were there very early on in my career. Then they sort of switched out and then switched back. Um, and we had a a really hard relationship because of a lot of things, but not having deliver, you know, not hitting on these project goals and having that pressure pushed downwards really tough. And it sort of came all the way through to early 2016, position came up that was quite high in the company. Um, it was like my position, my supervisor's position, their supervisor's position, then there's a position above that that came up, but it was ideally suited to what I'd been doing for, for five years. It actually... <laughs> I was actually signing paperwork for almost for for four years of that that had that job role that they came up with for this job. So, and there was lots of reasons why I might have been a good candidate. There's also reasons why you know I wasn't a good candidate. I wasn't the the most experienced, the oldest one there, but I did have some big ideas. So, one thing that really frustrated me is I went to my boss, and after you know having this really back and forth where things were not good for several years, and we were having a hard time communicating and struggling. They came back and said that they, they wouldn't be able to support me in, in applying for this position. So they wouldn't be able to give me a reference letter. They wouldn't be able to talk to, to management and give me any support. I know now that, that that was because of some internal mechanics on how the job was put out and who was involved, but it didn't matter. I mean, in my mind, I'd gave my blood, sweat, and tears to the company for five years, for half a decade. I did my graduate work aligned with the company so that we could grow together. I spent basically every weekend for the, you know, the early portion of my, or mid portion of my 20s working. You know, I, I, I kind of felt like it was at least owed to go up to bat and say what my, 
my faults were as well as my strengths for the position, but to not be able to um, go up at all was, was a pretty tough thing for me to swallow. And it was, it was very hard. So this was one of my first inklings of, of how vulnerable you are if you were in a full-time position. You know, I'd spent years <laughs> trying to trying to move the, the needle on this, and it was just really hard. So I, I don't know if that's what sparked in the back of my mind this thing that I need to get out and do my own job and start my own company because I, you're just really vulnerable in this position or not, but it was it was hard. So basically every week, every quarter, every PPP review for years, we'd had these difficult struggles and we'd had this, what I call now RSI, repetitive strain injury. So you, you want to be able to recognize that. That's the first thing. Is this continually happening over and over again? And is it causing you stress in your life? That's what you need to recognize. It's not necessarily indicative that you need to terminate that relationship. And we'll talk a bit about, you know, when that gets to a point that you do, but just something to keep an eye on because that's what's going to lead to burnout over the long term. That's what's going to lead to really bad situations is this repetitive RSI. So I'll give you five tips of when you're in this situation, things to think about, things that you can do, processes that you can follow um, when you're in this kind of recognizing repetitive strain injury. So the first one is that you, you need to keep in mind the customer's not always right. There's a famous quote that I think is attributed to to uh, Ford, although it might be somebody else, but you know, if, if I had to ask people what they wanted, they would have wanted faster horses. So you, we wouldn't have the car today if you, you know, if the customer's always right. They don't know what they, they need and want most of the time. And if they think that they are, then that's probably one of the filters you should use in step one to filter them out. So the customer's not always right. They don't always know what they need. You probably do need to treat them a bit like they are, but keep that in mind. Don't go killing yourself trying to deliver on this because there is, you know, there's, there is life on the other side of that dark cloud. So that's tip number one. The customer's not always right. Tip number two, try to identify whether or not this is a challenging project or a challenging client. So back to my example of my employment, I thought at first that this was just a challenging project. We failed to deliver on a project and we had a hard time with that. If you have a challenging project with a collaborative client, this can actually be really exhilarating. That's what it was my first part of my career. I loved it. We were doing all kinds of hard stuff. Um, you know, we were failing as a, as a company, as a team, but we had this more collaborative environment. But once it moved to being a challenging client, in my case, a challenging position at that company, um, that's when it started to, to get into RSI mode. So ask yourself, is this a challenging project or a challenging client that we're dealing with? Tip number three is to use the NEAT process when communication, when things go wrong. So NEAT is N-E-A-T. Um, this is a really great process. You can use it when you're talking to your spouse. You can use it when you're talking to team members. You can use it when you're talking to clients. Um, and I think about it quite a bit. When something goes wrong, it's unexpected, then follow this process. So the NEAT stands for normal, expect, accept it, and tidy up. So the first thing to do when something goes wrong is say, you know, this is, this is normal. This is something that's happened before. This is something that's happened with clients I've had before. Um, we expect it to happen. We expect in a case where we send a draft through and it wasn't, um, you know, exactly what the client was looking for. So it's something that, you know, this is normal. It happens in the day-to-day business. We expect it to happen. I'm willing to accept it. Now let's tidy it up. Let's staple it together. You know, that arrow is gone. We can't have it back. But what can we do to make this right? So that's a really good framework that I use a lot when something goes wrong to just say to myself and say to the other person, look, this is normal. We, we need to accept it if we want to grow as a business. We accept it if we want to grow it in this relationship. Let's accept it and let's tidy up. What are we going to do moving forward? Tip number four, uh, I called when they go high, we go low. Uh, this is the opposite of the Michelle Obama, Obama quote, by the way. 
Um, but you know, when they're high energy, when they're aggravated, um, when they're excited and loud, go the opposite way. Um, slow down, slow down your voice, lower your voice. That will help calm the situation down, diffuse it a bit as well. And tip number five that I'm gonna put in this this section on avoiding RSI is to get good at summarizing. If things are going bad, summarizing can really help this relationship. So summarize the end of conversations, goals, emails. This really helps avoid miscommunication, give you something to point back to when those things are uh, addressed later. And I can't stress this enough. <laughs> yeah, I have a personal, I'm trying to think of whether or not I should talk about this one on, but I'll, I'll talk about it. I, I really got into this, this summarizing. Okay, this is what we said we would do. And I had a, a PPP, a personal evaluation review that went went bad one year where I gave a, you know, a less than average which for me was like tremendously bad because I always shoot for like five out of five or the gold star or whatever. That's the personality type I am. Um, this was like slightly below average, but it wasn't good. But I said to my review is, you know, if you think at any time in the next year that I'm going to be below this average, tell me way ahead of time and I will do whatever I can to get above it so that we're at least, you know, meeting the, the acceptable level criteria. And then we had a hard year. Um, but you know, I was touching in, touching base. And at the end of the year, I got the same eval and the individual looked at me and said, um, did, weren't you expecting this? I said, no, I wasn't expecting this. At the end of the last year, we I said specifically, tell me if I need to expect this. And it was just like the communication wasn't going anywhere. So we talked about that, talked about this breakdown of communication as being an issue. And we'll actually talk about that in the third step. So there's some tips around recognizing repetitive strain injury, some things you can do to avoid and you know, identify what it is, what's happening, and to diffuse the situation a bit. Moving on into step three, it's really about knowing when when it's too much. When this is something that you can't really take and it's not positive for your life, and knowing when you're going to need to take the step to, to terminate and move forward. So again, I, I mentioned already challenging project versus challenging client. This is a really big one, um, but there's some other signs you can take to, to know when it's time for a change. So one is communication barriers. Are you just not getting each other? Like literally, are you saying something and they turning around and do something totally different or are they expecting something and you're doing to something totally different? Like, are you just completely so off base that it doesn't even make sense because you're not communicating effectively enough? That's a really good sign that's probably too much. Are they not acknowledging or valuing your work at all? Are you getting no positive feedback or recognition that your time's going in? I mean, I've felt this one in my job, again, coming back to this working all the time. And I set myself up for failure because I worked all the time and went really well. So when it went not well, I had to work all the time just to hit the status quo. But, you know, that acknowledgement level was going downhill fast. And it was actually getting to the point where there were statements like, it's expected that you need to work the weekend when, you know, we had these projects on. But the problem was we had, we had faulty projects on for like three years. So it can't be expected that we're in every weekend. Um, Anyway, I'm reminiscing a bit on this one. So it was a tough time in my life, but it brought me to where I am today. So coming back, the third sign that's it might be sign for changes, if irreversible statements have been made, you really want to avoid doing this. But if you've just said something that is off the wall, or if they've said something that's just really offensive and really bad, you know, that's a good time. That's we're not going to be able to recover from that. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to move forward. Two more steps. Imagine life after. If you're thinking like, you know, imagine I have to report to this person every Tuesday and you just imagine life being amazing. And at my, at my point in time is actually like, I couldn't even fathom what not going to work in the morning was going to be. 
I was a grad student. I could easily, you know, I could easily just go do my grad school work, which I'd never really done instead of working every day. But I couldn't even imagine what life would be like. I'd done it so long and worked so hard. This one, this one for me was even harder for me to imagine, but I knew it was going to be better than what I was doing. Then the last one I mentioned is what opportunities does this open up in your life and business? So for me, this opened up actually finishing my graduate research. Um, it opened up this opportunity for me to have six months a year to figure out what I want to do with life. And that's what turned into me starting my blog at mydustexplosionresearch.com, me turning that into dustsafetyscience.com, me opening grabblogger.com, building up the business I have today, building up the team, supporting the families of those teams that we have, and you know, doing all the big things that we have in the world. That was all because, possible because of the space that ending that relationship you know, made available. So you know, what opportunities are you giving up by still going through this? Is it maybe finding a better client? Is it working more with an existing client? You know, do you have somebody already that, that you really love working with and that might have more work for you if you had more available time for them? That'd be a great indication that, hey, it's just time to cut loose on the, you know, the, the stuff that's holding you back. So step four, I want to give a couple tips on ending the relationship. This is going to depend on you know, what your scenario is, how long you've worked with that client, personal things, if they're in the local area, if they're in your industry, um, burning bridges, all that sort of stuff. You, just, you want to be, well, I want to give you a couple tips on things that can, can make this process, I think, um, better. So one is to be truthful, but considerate. So don't make stuff up. Also be considerate. You're talking to another person. You're talking to a human. They probably have feelings. <laughs> Um, hopefully they have feelings anyway, but, you know, be truthful, you know, explain the reasons just we're failing to communicate. We're having a really hard time moving these products forward. I just don't think I'm the best fit to help, uh, help you and your company anymore. Um, but be considered, don't be a jerk about it. Don't like, you know, burn the bridge and, and, uh, flap the finger and, and get out of there. Like that's, that's bad news all around. It's not going to make you attractive to other clients as well. And it's just a bad way to go. It's a bad look offer to help in the transition. So I do want to say this one with a big asterisk, a big star. Um, I did this when, when I left my job. I put in my two weeks, um, but we sat down and talked, and I ended up actually putting three more months of work in to help them get through their, their next big time. Um, and I actually went out to consult a couple times afterwards, which is where the asterisk comes in. So offer to help in the transition, but don't give too much of yourself. In this case, I had already given several months, and when I tried to come on for the consulting to help them over their hurdles they were having randomly, like they wouldn't even want to pay me even close to market rates. And I said, listen, I'll come out once and I'll do it for free. Literally, I'll just come out, I'll spend the day with the whole team. This was after, you know, months after I'd, I'd left. And I don't want to set up a contract relationship because I can tell this is no good, especially if we're not willing to, you know, get anywhere on market rates, then uh, I'll just come do it for free and we'll call that the one time. So let's give it another eight hours. So, you know, help in the transition, help them through, don't leave them in a bind. But, you know, don't uh, don't kill yourself doing it either. And then the last thing I want to mention is, you know, be prepared to grieve. There's a lot of joy in moving to these next phases of your life, but this is a loss, especially if it's something you've been doing for, you know, a period of months or years of your life or a person you've been interacting with months and years of your life. There's a, you know, there's a big grieving thing that comes in here from this loss. And I'm not the expert on grief, so I'm not going to go into too much there, but in episode 35 of the podcast, The Power of the Daily 10-Item Brainstorm. I'm actually got a bit choked up when I came across one of my one of my brainstorm lists of things that covered uh, things I need to accept in my life. And number one was this whole, uh, this whole breakup with this former employee, employer and how that went down. It's something I still struggle with today. I'm still working on accepting. So be, be prepared to grieve once you end these relationships, especially if they've been long-term. 
So that's it on this episode. Again, we were answering the question, uh, how do you deal with or recover from difficult clients? We talked about having the correct filters as a good starting point, recognizing repetitive strain injury in an emotional sense, knowing when it's too much. And then we gave some tips on things that you should be thinking about when you're ending this relationship. So this is a really chargey topic. This is a topic, you know, it's pretty hard to deal with. Uh, as I mentioned, when when the listener mentioned they were having a hard time, I, I was happy to help and talk them through it. Um, but I didn't really feel comfortable at first shooting a podcast episode about it because I just felt a little bit out of my league. Um, but I am happy that I, I came on and shared some of my stories, some of my personal dealing with these things. And I hope that helps uh, you, the, the person who's listening in, um, realize maybe when you're not in a great client situation, avoid those situations and then maybe dealing with them when they do happen. So as always, you can grab the transcripts from this episode at grablawyer.com slash 37. Hope you found it really helpful. And if you've had to fire a client or if you've been in these relationships, maybe uh, give me a shout out on, on social media, tag me on Instagram or Twitter and let me know what your experience is and let, uh, let the other listeners know as well. How did you get over that? How did you get through? What tips do you have and strategies do you have on people to get through that as well? So I'd leave that as the end. If you have any questions you want me to answer on the podcast, go to grablogger.com slash ask, or you send me an email at chris at grablogger.com. Um, we'll get those answered on the podcast. I really do enjoy these episodes. I know there are things that are helping the audience, again, helping you, the person that's listening in your car while you're on your run or while you're working out or whatever it is, uh, making dinner. I know that these are helping you because they're the questions that uh, that you're asking. So please keep sending those through. I look forward to continuing to help you build an online business, build the life that you want and make the change that you want to put into the world. Mm-hmm.